Welcome to LJRE Podcast, podcasting with the real estate experts. Welcome to Luke Jones Real Estate, podcasting with the real estate experts. Our aim with this series of podcasts is to pull back the curtain on the real estate brokerage business and do a deep dive into who some of the unsung heroes are there out there in the business because brokerage sales really is a team effort. And as I always say, it takes a village to get a deal done in this industry. So if you're investing in an income property, purchasing your first home, refinancing an existing property, researching an opportunity, or simply looking to build a career in real estate, it's important to get a peek into what all these experts really do and what they bring to the table to make it all happen. In this episode, we're going to look into the 1031 Tax Deferred Exchange. I'll admit to you now, this is one of my favorite topics. I'm kind of a nerd on this. It's an awesome piece of tax code that helps people build true wealth through their real estate and has also been behind the growth of an entire sector in the commercial real estate game. So if you own income property... Understanding the ins and outs of the 1031 exchange is absolutely vital. As ever, I'll be looking at the process through the lens of wealth building in real estate. But frankly, this applies to all of you out there, whether you're buying your first home or investing in real estate. Why? Because even if you're a home buyer, there's a chance that someone competing for the property may be in an exchange. Or, even if you're a home buyer, understanding 1031 exchanges may be food for thought in the event that you want to lease out your property in the future, become a landlord, and trade up into another income-producing property down the line. But most importantly, understanding the ins and outs of these types of programs empowers you with knowledge. It gives you the broader perspective, and it sets you up for success with your real estate goals. So... My guest today is a delightful lady who I've had the pleasure of transacting with for so many years. Aside from being a great person to hang out with, she's also incredibly succinct and clear in explaining this stuff. She wants to empower her clients through knowledge, and she comes from a place of contribution. She's generous with her knowledge and just wants to make sure people understand the opportunities that this program provides. Cynthia Pettijohn, Vice President with First American Exchange Company. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Luke. So, let's get back to basics. What the devil is a 1031 exchange? 1031 is actually a tax code. It's called Section 21 of the IRC code, and it allows people to defer capital gains, federal and state, and recapture of depreciation from one real estate investment to a new real estate investment. So you're still paying the tax, but you're deferring the tax. That's correct. You're not tax excluded, but you are deferring. So if you were to sell a property with, let's say, a million dollars of capital gains tax, you would be responsible for 35 to 40% of that being uh, sent. Hey, Uncle Sam. Yeah, absolutely. And that, most people find, is a better off being reinvested in new properties. It can be one property, it can be a multitude of properties, and it's such a diverse tax code that it really empowers people to diversify their portfolios and make great investments. So it's really 
it's really more than just deferring the tax. It's about enabling you to, to continue to be in the investment game and to sort of continue to acquire real estate, which, which has so many benefits, not just for you in terms of your tax burden, but also just in terms of like, you know, growing a sector overall. Absolutely. And and for many different reasons, people utilize Section 1031. Often it's to sell an investment and reinvest in different types of property. Um, but often it is because they've done so well with one property, they want to diversify into more properties or more locations. So it encourages growth, it encourages diversifying, it encourages just being outward thinking, really. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it is. Uh, part of it was enacted back in the 1920s when we first saw income tax come to fruition. And people wanted to grow their business. And so to give up the taxes would be a disservice to the owners and the investors and even the corporations who wanted to use this tax code um, to allow them to have more money to reinvest. Awesome. Well, as you know, I'm a big fan, so uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, to diving into this a little bit more so that we can explain it very clearly to our to our listeners out there. But but um, first of all, tell us where you're working now. You're, you're with First American Exchange. You've been there for almost 18 years, Almost right? 18 years, wow. yeah. So I'm assuming it's a nice place to work. That's awesome. It is, it is fantastic. Um, it is a company that really cares about our customers and um, gives me the tools that I need to be successful and to build relationships with people like yourself and our clients. And where are you, where are you, do you have a base? Where are you based out? Yeah, I have an office with our National Commercial Services Group, uh, downtown Los Angeles, but most of the time I'm out with customers and meeting with uh, different people trying to educate and continue just to um, give knowledge to investors and people who can benefit from 1031 exchanges. Wonderful. Now... You've been in the game a long time. Is it like, did you get into the game 18 years ago? Or were you in it prior to that as well? No, I actually came from a real estate background oh, okay. and wanted something that provided more challenges and learning opportunities. And um, certainly with the explosion of 1031s during the 2000s and lots of different um, rules and regulations being uh, passed through, it, it, it has been a tremendous learning opportunity. And, wow. and um, I really grown with the position so so 2000 so that there's been at least two cycles since then and, and i'm assuming if you were in real estate prior to that you've been through a bunch of cycles so so like tell me like are there in all those ups and downs are there any consistencies or any any trends that stand out to you well i think our savvy investors realize that at different times of the market they can go in and out of more core markets and into tertiary markets during certain times. And now, see, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Let's explain to people, like well, a core market being sort of L.A., but then... You right. Can, okay. so, so if I were to be an investor here in L.A., I might take advantage of what I think might be a peaking market. And we, we've all heard the, you know, buy low, sell high. And, and a lot of our savvy investors practice just that. Mm-hmm. And the 1031 opportunity is for them to continue through the cycles. So I may sell something in a, in a beachside community when the market's high, and I may go into other opportunities that are growth opportunities, mm. 
and then I may come back into the LA right. um, during another cycle. So again, as a savvy investor, I think utilizing the 1031 allows them to retain the most powerful um, investment and to keep keep that money active and working for them as opposed to spending it on taxes. And I've, I thought you, it's funny, I thought you were almost about to say what, what we like to say is let's make let's make your real estate work for you instead of the other way around. So it's kind of it's right. the same, it's, same principle. Right. Um, if you were to pay Uncle Sam all of those taxes, that money's gone. It's, it's gone. done. So with Whereas the ten- with a little effort, you can do this 1031 and then you can make your investment work for you. That's correct. I think we've all played the game Monopoly when we were children. If you remember, you put together your four houses and went into a hotel. That was your first 1031 exchange. Yeah. So that is just a, an excellent opportunity to, to visualize leverage. I love that. That's a great way of looking at it. So, so you, you acquire a condo, let's say, that you live in as your primary residence, and then you decide that I'm going to lease it out. So then you become a landlord. And then, and then you get some tenants in there, and it's great, does really well for you, and it's in a great market like Santa Monica or something. And uh, however, it's kind of peaking. So then you decide, you know what, I've owned this property as a landlord. Why don't I go and buy a triplex with this property? So exchange out of the condo and into a triplex in an, in an area that's kind of coming up in value. And then all of a sudden, you're like trading up and you're right. making your real estate work for you. So right. kind of the monopoly analogy again. Mm-hmm. Okay, very cool. Absolutely. So we've established that, that 1031s can be for residential income properties, but, but they're also, like you said at the beginning of our conversation, they can be for all manner of resident or commercial properties. Right? It doesn't have to be residential income properties, but you could get into a, Absolutely. a commercial office space or even a single tenant triple net or whatever it is, right? Right. So any property is like kind if it's real property that's going to be held for investment or used for someone's productive use in business or trade. So business owners as well as investors can take advantage of 1031 exchanges and again, the diversification is as long as it's real property, it's considered like kind if it's here in the United States. Great, awesome. And and is there? Do you find that you're doing like who are you doing most of your ten thirty one exchanges with? Or, or put it another way, what asset class tends to be the most consistent of those like kind properties? Great question, Luke. So our our multifamily owners and investors truly are the bread and butter of ten thirty one exchanges. And multifamily is an asset class that um, has withstood the test of time. It's housing that people need, and it fluctuates with the market, but it's it's a great um, investment for so many people, for so and many the, reasons. And there's a great, I mean, not, not to kind of get too into multifamily, which we all know is like my passion for sure, but, but what I like about it is that it has a very... It's very dynamic, so you can really, you can, as long as you have a really solid operational platform, you can. There's a lot of value add to be made from it, and then, like you said, you can get out of a very expensive market and go somewhere else where there's real growth, and so there's always opportunities to kind of go with the cycles, right? Absolutely, and and a lot of our investors are the type that will roll up their sleeves, that will take on a building that might need a little tender loving care and some retenanting. And they'll get in there and make that a home run and then move on. So, you know, it really works for people who understand it, and it's just such a great asset class. So you work with a lot of folk who do this a lot. They're very experienced. Sounds like, um, you know, the majority or, or at least a, a lot of them are in multifamily. But let's assume for a second that, that, that 
brand new opportunity came your way. Someone, a, a new person who had not done a 1031 exchange before. Um, when you get together and you have that first conversation, like what do you tell them in that first meeting? Well, I think it's really important for them, first off, to understand what it is they're deferring. So I truly recommend that everyone speaks with their accountant and understands what their adjusted basis is and what their gain is so that they can make an educated decision if 1031 is appropriate for them. So the first step would be to, uh, in addition to my giving them knowledge about how a 1031 works, is to make sure they understand what is being deferred. Okay, so so what what the asset that you're deferring, and then also I'm assuming you have to have a very, you know, important conversation about what they're going to get into, and Absolutely. how that process will run. Absolutely. So everyone has different goals, and their 1031 goals um, can vary drastically. Um, it's important for me to to meet with somebody. I really like the personal relationship and understanding where it is they want to be at the end of their exchange. And I think the more that we discuss that, we can troubleshoot um, the situation and make sure that they're going down the right path and that we have a successful 1031. So let's just talk about for a second, and again, we don't want to go into too much detail because we could unpack this for hours. You know, It's a very detailed program, the 1031 exchange, but, but there are certain time frame elements to it, right? So, so the, the tax code will allow you to defer some capital gains tax so long as you like stick to the rules. So give, it, give us the oversight. Well, I think, rules. I think the number one rule to understand is, first off, we are called a qualified intermediary. And in order to affect a 1031 exchange, you must have a qualified intermediary. It's not an option. Um, it's part of the tax code. And the reason for that is to keep a customer from having uh, constructive or actual receipt of their funds. Because any time during the process, if they have control of their funds, they can invalidate a 1031 exchange. Mm. So our role is really to assign ourselves into a purchase and sale agreement prior to a closing of escrow and become the seller on behalf of the taxpayer. And then we can act as a qualified intermediary to handle those funds throughout the transaction and keep them in what we call safe harbor. A lot of, uh, lot of great words here that, 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 that let's boil it down into real simplistic terms. So, so if I'm selling something, I'm not allowed to touch the money. If that's, I touch the money, then I'm going to get taxed. That's correct. Even if you didn't physically touch it. If right. escrow closed and those funds were in your name at the closing and you had the opportunity to withdraw them, right. you basically have constructive receipt and okay. you can no longer do a 1031. So it's imperative that we meet with customers, um, help customers understand the process, and get set up prior to the closing of escrow. And put their minds at ease, because I'm sure that they're thinking, boy, if I have to like put my money into someone else's account, so it's like you have to reassure them that, that this is how it works, this is that the code enforces this. Absolutely. And, 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 then, and then, Cynthia, tell me about, tell us, the listeners, about the, the time frame. So I'm, I'm hearing 45 days, I hear 180 days, I'm hearing all these different like days. What, what's, what's with that? So um, in 1986, when the tax reform came out, the um, IRS enacted these specific dates and timelines. So once my property closes escrow, the very next day is considered day one of my exchange period, which is 180 days. That's six months. 180 days, actually, Uh, Luke. Okay. So it is very specific. Um, And if that 180th day were to fall on a Sunday, 
then the taxpayer needs to close their escrow on their replacement properties prior to that Sunday. So it could be, could be less even, even less. And the first 45 of those 180 days is one of the things that causes concerns for our taxpayers, mm-hmm. and that's called the identification period. Because once their property closes, then it's incumbent upon them to tell us what they intend to purchase by the 45th day. Wow. So they have to have found a property that they want to buy within 45 days and then close on that property by the 180th day in order to utilize the, the, the tax code. That's correct, Luke. However, um, we like to encourage customers to work with realtors like yourself to help them that the moment their relinquished property is an escrow, they shift their focus into finding that replacement property and making sure they've done their due diligence and that they're comfortable with what it is that they're going to name. They may even close escrow by the 45th day and not even have to formally identify as anything that's closed is deemed identified. So you you just said a great word there. So it's like a mind shift. So you have to get out of the mindset of being, once once you're committed to sell and you get into contract, then you've got to like change gears. And now what am I going to go buy? And you have to go out there and find your replacement property. And and how many properties, are you only allowed to pick one or what's the rules? So there's a couple different rules. Um, The most popular rule and the most common use is called the three property rule. And it allows just that. It allows a taxpayer to identify any three properties anywhere in the U.S. that are going to be held for investment or used for productive use in their business or trade. And there's no um, restrictions on the value of those properties, but you're limited to three. You're limited to three. And, and as long as it's, what, the same value or more, then you don't pay the capital gains. That's correct. So to defer 100%, in a tax-deferred exchange, you need to replace two things. The value of the property of what you're selling, and you need to reinvest all of the proceeds. If those two tests are, are met, there won't be what we call boot. Boots. And boot could be anything that you don't replace in a 1031 exchange, and that would be taxable. And taxable at the normal capital gains right. amount. So each client, is, depending on their state of, of sale, would be responsible for federal, uh-huh. state, and recapture of their depreciation. So many clients are not ready to know what their capital gains are until they meet with their accountant or review their past income tax statements. So again, that's why it's a good idea to talk with your CPA ahead of time and sort of really understand what your exposure is before even getting into this process. Absolutely, absolutely. And for clients that don't fall into that three property, for for example, we have clients that sell a larger asset and mm-hmm. need to diversify, mm-hmm. they can utilize the 200% rule. And the 200% rule will allow them to identify any number of properties as long as they don't exceed 200% of the value of the property they've sold. So I sell a property for a million and I could go out there and buy four properties up to $2 million total. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And, but the most common one is, is the three the three rule, right? That that is very common amongst most of our investors. Okay. And 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 then you mentioned something which which I know that a lot of my clients out there have, have sought clarification on this, but I think you put it perfectly, but let's go over it again. So so you have to do one of two things. You have to replace the value plus replace the proceeds that you receive. So explain what that means, because some people might be a bit confused by that. But but what I'm hearing is that the value may be more than actually what you get. 
Is that true? Absolutely. So most clients um, can look at the value as the sales price, mm-hmm. and that keeps it simple. Um, you can extract some of the costs of sale. Um, so we can take off sometimes the commissions and some other things, and then we're going to get a net sales price, and that's going to be the value they need to replace in their new property. In addition, they may have some debt on that property that's going to be paid off at the close of escrow. So their net proceeds may be very different than the actual value. Right. And that's the key. So I sell it for a million dollars. That's my value. But I have a mortgage of 500000 So I'm actually not seeing like a million. I'm seeing half a million because I have to pay off the mortgage. But I have to replace the full million. Is that right? That's correct, Luke. So... Remember that we are trying to grow a business and that that's why this 1031 code um, has survived so long is that it's a great economic stimulator and it's wonderful for investors, but they need to replace the value of what they're selling. Got it. Got it. And a lot of moving parts. There's you to kind of, you know, explain it to them. Who else is on your team? Like, t- tell me about the structure. So, so let's say you start working with a client. Who are they going to be interfacing with throughout this process? So they will have an escrow coordinator that will handle the sale of their property with you. And then our team of processors um, will interact with the escrow company and get all the documentation from escrow, um, make sure that we understand title, One of the things that people forget about is a 1031 is available for whichever entity held title to the property that's being sold. So if it were to be a husband and wife, um, they would need to buy the replacement property in the same entity. If it's a corporation, then the corporation needs to do the 1031 exchange. They're the ones who have held the property for investment, and so that has made them entitled to do that. So Our processors will reach out to escrow, we'll get all of the documents, we'll review everything, and then we'll send our exchange documents directly to the client. We'll get their signatures, and then we'll notify escrow to make sure that the language in the closing of escrow is correct, and that they're set up to wire the proceeds to us at the close of escrow. And then once the proceeds are in that account, what do you call it, like the accommodating account, right? So once the proceeds are in the accommodating account, does the, the seller have access to see that and they know that it's there and they can reach out and like, hey, where's my money type of thing? That's a great question, Luke. So they can't control their funds, but their funds are held in a bank account under their entity and under their tax ID number. Any interest that's accrued on that account would go to the taxpayer. So we send them um, a receipt of what we received from escrow. We'll take out our fee, which is nominal, and then we'll pass it through to the bank account. We'll then send them a statement of what we're holding for their 1031 exchange, along with what's their 45th day and what's their 180th day. And that way, the taxpayer is completely informed as to how their exchange is going to flow. And I'm betting you have to remind them when that 45th day is coming up, right? We do. We do. Um, a lot of people schedule vacations and other things in the midst <sighs> of their exchange, and you can imagine that it would it would go smoother if people were available um, and made sure that they, again, started to look for their replacement property as soon as they know that they've got a solid buyer on right, their relinquished right. property. And, and as an agent, you know, what I always try and do is empower my clients through, you know, clear explaining of the process. And, 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 and frankly, I try and say to them, hey, listen, if you are contemplating doing an exchange, we can start looking for stuff even before you've 
sold the property, even before you've listed the property. Let's go out there and see what there is. Let's go and understand, is there replacement property, are there replacement properties out there? Um, that was our little bing to tell us that we're doing an awesome podcast, by the way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so let's, so let's talk about the market in general, okay? So, so we're, we're right now, we're in a seller's market that has low supply and high demand and, and then also the yields on those replacement properties are pretty, pretty tight. They're, they're pretty low. So what challenges does that give your clients in this market? Um, again, I think we keep coming back to the same challenge for this market is the scarcity of replacement properties, which is why it's so important um, for the client to fully understand the process of a 1031 exchange and to plan ahead and plan accordingly to get out there and look to see, like you said, what's available and what it is that's going to be a good fit for them as an owner investor um, in their 1031 replacement property. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what if it changes? I mean, what, so, so if the market, which we all know, things go in cycles. We talked about cycles before. If the market were to shift, um, does that present opportunities? Is it challenges? How, how in your, since you've been through the cycles, what, what opportunities are there when the market shifts? Well, as the market shifts, it just gives more opportunities to our investors to get out there and have an even broader selection of replacement properties. And sometimes maybe a lot of people are selling off maybe at that point, so there's more properties on the market. Absolutely, and not everyone is utilizing a 1031. So for a client who's just looking to leave real estate, the client who's in the midst of a 1031 exchange is only going to benefit from a greater supply to choose from mm-hmm. and to have more opportunities. And it's funny, so many of my clients say, well, even if I bought an investment that lost 10%, I can quantify that 10%. And I may recap it on the next property. If I pay my taxes of 30 to larger percentage... You're never getting that back. Never going to see it again. It's gone. So I would rather put my investment into a property that I might see a 10% reduction as opposed to knowing for sure that I've just given up 30% or more. I love that. That's great. So um, let's change gears a a little. So uh, as you know, our company is built on three main pillars of action, community, and freedom. Um, it's the three things that, that drive me professionally, but also personally. And so um, quick fire around here, I'd love to ask you, like, what three things drive you personally? Well, relationships. Um, it's extremely important for me personally and in my business to form relationships Um, and partnerships that we can work together. You and I have worked together on several transactions, and it's it's really um, gratifying to see a client meet their goals, and so many different clients I feel we help in so many different ways. So it's extremely gratifying. Um, The other thing is, is I am one of those few people that get to say I love what I do. And it's a, it's a great feeling to have a career that gives back to me mm-hmm. as much as I give to it. So That's great. And you yeah. do seem to love what you do. It's, it's always cool to kind of like hear you talking with clients and, you know, you're coming from a place where you seem genuinely really into, like, what you do, which is great. Yeah, we see so many different types of transactions and we meet with so many different investors and everyone's got their own story and... Mm-hmm. 
um, again, it's it's just very um, empowering to be able to help them learn and to see them grow. We've watched a lot of different brokers and clients grow in this business, and um, it's wonderful. They come back time and time again for another exchange, and it's wonderful. That's great. It's great, great to hear and great to see. Um, so, sounds like you're you're in the car quite a lot with with you know going to meetings and meeting folk. And so, what's what's the average day look like for you? <laughs> it looks like a traveling around in my car for the most part, um, you know, again, to to say that it's just relationships means that you have to actually be out and meet with people. And um, I meet with clients almost daily. I meet with brokers daily. I impart knowledge daily. Yeah, you um, do teaching, right? I mean, you go to I, seminars. And I you do. do. Yeah. yeah, yesterday I was over in West L.A. and got to do a uh, exchange workshop 101, awesome. we call it, with some fresh brokers who um, are just learning the business. Mm-hmm. And it's really fun to watch them learn and grow. And have those and aha moments. And, absolutely, you know. absolutely. A lot of bright minds and just really eager to get out there and, um, you know, learn this information. And let's be honest, 1031 is not that exciting to most people. But to me it is because everyone can be a different type of situation. So I think I think it's exciting because let's face it, you're right. That the, even the, even the name is not very thrilling, is it? But, but but and and whenever you talk about you know CPAs and tax code, most people just get very bored. But it's about the opportunity that it presents, and it's about the the risk reward type of thing. If you put in the effort, then you can get so much from it. Absolutely, um, yeah. and and we've watched clients who have made investments and come back to us and. We see that they exchanged into that building five years ago, and and now they've um, kind of really done well with it and Mm -hmm. want to take that out and seek other opportunities. And we watch them go into the next properties. And it's fun to hear their stories and watch their success and see them grow. Yep. Couldn't couldn't have said it better myself. So let's talk about... So we can't mention, obviously, clients, confidentiality and everything, but let's talk about, like, you know, working with those clients... Take me through like the best type scenario, like like your sublime deal where everything just seemed to go swimmingly and it was perfect and there are no hiccups. And what did that look like for you? What happened there? Uh, we go back to the word I used earlier, the word planning. Okay. So it's really um, important for a taxpayer to understand 1031 and to get informed about what's happening. And then to have some goals and some planning. And I find that the taxpayers that meet with me early on, sometimes even before they've listed their property, just so they understand what they're going to do when they do list their property, these are the clients that have the most success and the least amount of hiccups in a transaction because they're prepared. They've done their planning and they're prepared and they understand the process and they're excited. They're ready to move forward, and they're out there actively finding their replacement property. And for them, it's an adventure. The five Ps, right? Proper plotting and planning prevents poor performance. No, wait, that's six. In fact, we can make it seven. Proper plotting and planning prevents piss poor performance. So it's also so planning, preparation, all those elements that that will set you up for success. They, they do make successful transactions. And having a good team of people 
Um, you know, having good advisors, having a good real estate broker, having a CPA or an accountant that understands um, where you're headed and and gives you proper information. All of those things are imperative. Um, Having a qualified intermediary who's willing to put in the time and energy to make sure that your transaction flows smoothly and educates you throughout the process. A lot of people on that team, so very much about empowering everyone to be accountable and, and everyone's got a plan. That's correct. So, so walk me through. Maybe it's never happened because you're so awesome at what you do. But, but let's walk through. A, a, let's a hypothetical, if you will, of like the worst case scenario. Like, like what can go wrong? Like, there's so many things. So, I guess the worst thing that can happen is that you don't identify and you don't close, and that you pay your tax, and that, that he's he or she is like furious with that. So, so assuming that that's the worst, what? Let's not talk about that because I'm sure that, that that you really want to avoid that at all costs. But let's talk about something wh- where it does close, but it's just been lumpy. It's just been like a nightmare. Well, typically... Why, why does that happen? Yeah, the, the reason for um, transactions that, that don't go as smoothly as we would like um, are those people who decide two days before they're closing and they haven't consulted with their accountant. They have no idea what they're deferring. And so they panic when they start thinking about, wow, I'm going to have a tax implication when I sell this property. So they may set up the exchange, but they may not take the time that is necessary to talk to myself or one of the people on our team to understand the full process of the 1031. And once you elect to do a 1031 and your property closes, you're in that exchange till a minimum of day 45. Right. And we've had clients that won't take the time to have a conversation with us to understand the importance of knowing that information. They set up the exchange, and a week later, they've decided to just pay their taxes, and yet they need to wait until day 45 for us to release the funds oh, wow. for them to then pay their taxes. So it's kind of a double um, hit for them, and it if they took the time to let us consult them and let us explain the process, then they would be much better informed to make a better decision, and perhaps they wouldn't have set up the exchange in the first place. 1031 exchanges are not for everyone, and I'm not shy about telling a customer that, you know, due to your scenario, you may want to consider just paying your taxes. Um, You know, not everyone needs to do a 1031, but certainly, and depending on the tax level that, that you that you have, like you get things that you can defer, right? And there, there's certain things that you can write off, and so maybe your tax burden isn't as high as you you thought it was. Absolutely. So again, the the more that we can um, discuss a client's needs and make sure that we understand where they're coming from, um, and if in fact they do have a capital gains that's significant enough to defer, it's the perfect solution for them to do it. And so it sounds like, is there a word or one thing that, 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 that from the outset made that challenging? Is it, is it lack of preparation or is it lack of thought or is it lack of um, awareness? Or? <laughs> e, all of the above. Okay. So again, it's, it's the planning, but it's also just the understanding of how the, the code works and, and what the responsibility of a qualified intermediary is. You're giving control of somebody to hold your funds and you need to understand what that relationship is like. And even though it's in our documents that um, you know their funds can't be released till day forty-five, people don't always read and mm-hmm. understand them. And so you know we just we just want to make sure people are informed and make sound decisions. And then 
it's a wonderful experience to be able to help them. So if there was one thing you could tell a client, let's say you've got a client who's just, you can just tell, these guys are not going to read stuff, I can tell that they're all over the map, they're planning a vacation in 45 days, what's the one thing you would, you would hold them by the shoulders and say, this is the one thing you need to think about when you do this? What, what's the one thing that they need to, to do to prepare them for success? They need to be available. They need to be available to the team that's here to help them. Um, they need to be available to you, to myself, and to escrow, and to everyone else on the team to help them achieve their goals. Um, so if they make themselves unavailable and they're not open to the knowledge, it's, it's going to be a challenge from the get-go. That's a really interesting answer. And available, it's like you need to make sure that the, it's not about their ego. It's not about like that they know more than the next person. It's just let's just make sure that, that we communicate that Correct. you're available. Yeah, I think communication is really the key. And, and that, that's probably a much better word um, to really identify how an exchange will be successful is to keep the communication lines open. Wonderful. Cynthia? Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us today on Luke Jones Real Estate, podcasting with the real estate experts. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Luke.